Okay, guys, we are coming on here to do a update episode on the Idaho murders case, the case of Kaylee Goncalves, Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernadel, and Madison Mogan, because Brian Koberger, who was arrested in Pennsylvania, we talked about that on our last update episode, he was arrested there and we were waiting for him to be extradited over here. So he did waive his extradition hearing and he came back to Idaho last night they flew him on a plane here. Seems kind of like a small private plane that he had to go on. Sometimes they said that they will transfer prisoners on like a public plane, but because of the notoriety and of this case, that just seemed dangerous, I think. They're for probably him. nervous for him that someone's going to off him. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because who wouldn't want to? So he did make it back last night and then I was working today so this girl I know sent me the affidavit and I was working and I'm just um it's like we're just barely getting around to it I didn't realize that it would be out so quickly so he must have gone to his initial hearing with the magistrate court judge this morning and then they released it right after and this affidavit it has a lot of info I'm honestly shocked but I think it's probably good because of so much of the conspiracies and theories on this case that it like really puts it in perspective what happened and everyone can kind of die down on the rumors it just lays it out there for you but like a lot of affidavits yes kind of although it brings up some more questions Um, I haven't actually gotten all the way through it. My mom read (laughs) all the way through it. I have only read three pages. So honestly, I think I'm just going to come on here and just kind of read through it. And then as we go through things, like we can discuss things we notice in it. Um, Like I said, I haven't read through all of this. So this isn't some like clean cut polished episode. We're just going to kind of jump into it and roll with it um, just to get the information. Well, first, I want to say the judge did deny him bail. So did deny him bail. Okay, out on bail. Hallelujah. If he was out on bail here, I would seriously. The families were in the front row. They were. So they went to the hearing. Were crying. Oh, that's Mm -hmm. so heartbreaking. I feel so bad for them, and that's one of the things I made a Facebook post, um, just with some things from the affidavit, and I that's one of the things I said like remember the victims families during this like while all of this is coming out because like they're learning all this information alongside us yeah and, so and then um, they've got to be they're gonna have so a much. hearing next week okay like the next did they say what kind like a prelim is it like oh uh, I didn't get that detail dates. but it's just yeah. the next time he's Another in court is next week I kind of feel like they're going to push this trial through fairly quickly. Mm. His defense will probably ask for it to be like a year or whatever, but it seems like they're they're really hopping on it. Yeah. Okay, well, so, with the affidavit, uh, we can't just go through it page by page. I just I just have to bring up one thing. I can't wait. Okay. <laughs> okay. What? So, the roommate ran into him, the killer. Really? So I haven't got to that part yet. Yes. So DM. That's Dylan. how they label her. I think uh-huh. it's, is it Daryl? So that's Dylan. Dylan. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So people are speculating that it's her, but she had heard things. Um, so she opened the door. I did get to the point where she's hearing things, but I did not see that. 
she ran into him. Oh, yeah. So she heard a few things like like one one. She heard a female voice that said someone's here. And so she looked out her window and didn't see anybody. But they had said that that um, Zana was on TikTok around 4 a.m. and she door dashed. Uh huh. I saw that. So they weren't sure if it was, you know, the door dash was there or someone mm-hmm. was there. <laughs> and then right. she thought she heard um, Goncalves playing with her dog. Yeah, I saw all of that. But then she physically ran into him. And then so uh, we p- might need to read that part better. But from what I gathered, like, I don't know if she opened the door and like went out in her hallway, but it, she said that a man, and she like described how tall he was. She said he wasn't very muscular, but he had an athletic build. He was wearing a mask around his face, like his nose and mouth, and he had bushy eyebrows. And he walked past her, and she stood frozen. And he oh, walked past, and that's when gosh. they believe that he exited the scene. I wonder why he left her like she is so lucky, but also probably so traumatized. I just saw a post on Facebook before hopping on here where someone was like, please, like, don't judge Dylan. Like, we don't need to, like, create more rumors about her. Like, she's just as much a victim here. But I did not have not read that far into it. So she was just, like, confused. She's, like, frozen in fear. Yeah, the... the thing that they might be nervous about, which I wondered, I mean, you just wonder, like, why didn't they call the police? I know. Was she, it like... She saw him at four in the morning and then didn't they call it like noon the next day? Yeah. But I wonder so, if she was just shocked, like if she thought the girls had a boy over and then he was like leaving. Or if you're just, you're in shock and you pass out after. I don't know. I know. That is that is crazy. I had no idea. that. So we will read through that part. But like, <laughs> whoa. First that, of all, extremely lucky. Because I totally theorized the whole time he just didn't know they were there. But yeah, he walked unless by Unless he her. didn't see her. Like if she opened the door like a crack. And, and he just know. like and, walked by and walked out without realizing. Yeah. Oh, that like gives me chills because that's scary. I know. But like, I almost do think your first instinct wouldn't be like, oh, this guy's in my house. He just killed all my roommates. True. Like, I think your but first would, instinct, I wonder if she especially with anybody. so many people. Like, I just saw this dude with it. Like, I mean, you would think it's weird that there's somebody in there with a black ski cap over his face and head. That is weird. But then, like, they had so many people in and out that I wonder if it. she almost talked herself into just believing, like, I was weird. And, Ugh. like, I wonder, I like, who had him over, you know? It'll just be interesting I don't to know. hear her side, like, if she, you know, has to testify in yeah. court. Yeah, I'm curious to get to that because I haven't, I'm, like, probably right before that because. Ugh. I'm so glad that he didn't get her. I'm so glad too. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been, they are so lucky. Ugh. 
I know. Either it's way, so I mean, they're traumatized. Good. They're lucky for the situation it is. They're not like lucky in life that this guy came in and killed their roommates and they didn't get killed. But in that situation, to be there and have four of your roommates killed that brutally and then you survive. I mean, it's so lucky and it's also so traumatizing. Yeah. Can you even imagine how like, how would you sleep at night again? I wouldn't want to sleep alone ever again. I wouldn't want to live alone. No. I'd want to stay by my parents, <laughs> sleep at my parents' house, on their floor. Like, uh. oh, they, that's crazy. So, yeah, we are going to go through all of this. We'll go through that and I'll, we'll have to stop kind of when we get there again and once we like read it fully. So I'm just going to kind of start by going through it. It's called Exhibit A, Statement of Brett Payne. So this must be an officer. It says below that the below information is provided by Brett Payne, who is a duty appointed, qualified and acting peace officer within the county of Latah, state of Idaho. Brett Payne is employed by the Moscow Police Department, la da da. So on November 13th, 2022, at approximately 4 p.m., Moscow Police Department Sergeant Blaker and I responded to a 1122 King Road, Moscow, Idaho. Hereafter, the King Road King Road residence. So from here on, they'll just call the home where the crime occurred, the King Road residence. And they responded there to assist with the scene with scene security and processing of a crime scene associated with four homicides. Upon their arrival, the Idaho State Police forensic team was already on scene and was preparing to pre- begin processing the scene. So Brett says, Officer Smith and I entered the King Road residence through the bottom floor door on the north side of the building. I believe this is the front door. Officer Smith and I then walked upstairs to the second floor. Officer Smith directed me down the hallway to the west bedroom on the second floor, which I later learned through Zana's driver's license and other personal belongings found in the room was Zana Kernodal. Hereafter, Kernodal. So they'll be calling her Kernodal through the rest of this. Just before this room, there was a bathroom door on the south wall of the hallway. As I approached the room, I could see a body later identified as Kernodal's laying on the floor. Kernodal was deceased with wounds which appeared to have been caused by an edged weapon. So Zana was on the floor. We learn from this and then we'll see Ethan was in the room. They don't say if he was on the bed or on the floor. So he was not at the top of the staircase like a lot of people theorized. It says also in the in the room was a male, later identified as Ethan Chapin, hereafter Chapin. Chapin was also deceased with wounds later determined through an autopsy report provided by Spokane. And then it actually is redacted. Some of this is redacted. Goes on to say um, that his wounds were to be caused by a sharp, by sharp force injuries or his death to be caused by sharp force injuries. I then followed Officer Smith upstairs to the third floor of the residence. The third floor consisted of two bedrooms and one bathroom. The bedroom on the west side of the floor was later determined to be Kaylee Goncalves, hereafter Goncalves room. I later learned from a review of Officer Noon's body camera, there was a dog in the room when Moscow police officers initially responded. This dog belonged to Goncalves and her ex-boyfriend, Jack Decor. So the dog was in her room, which I speculated when we talked about the whole thing. 
because mm-hmm. I said I heard they were in the room together. So that would make me think her dog was in her room and he was. Um, Officer Smith says, I found out from my interview with Jack Decor on November 13th that he and Goncalves shared the dog. Officer Smith then pointed out a small bathroom on the east side of the third floor. This bathroom shared a wall with Madison Mogan, hereafter Mogan's bedroom, which was situated on the southeast corner of the third floor. As I entered this bedroom, I could see two females in the single bed in the room. Both Goncalves and Mogan were deceased with visible stab wounds. I also later noticed what appeared to be a tan leather knife sheath laying on the bed next to Mogan's right side when viewed from the door. The sheath was later processed and had K-Bar on it, USMC, and the United States Marine Corps Eagle Globe and Anchor Insigma stamped on the outside of it. The Idaho State Lab later located a single source of male DNA, which was the suspect's profile, left on the bottom snap of the knife sheath. So this is one of the huge parts I called my mom about when I was just reading into it because A, this is how, you know, one of the places at least that they find his DNA and connect him to this scene. But I was telling you, mom, there was this theory going around the last few days since the arrest about this guy that everyone was referring to it's this Facebook profile this Papa Roger Facebook profile and I really like try to ignore a lot of these random theories and Facebook theories and stuff so I'll like ignore them and not read them for a while and then just the other day I was reading through it and I I sort of got convinced because I was like this dude is really weird but I didn't know it was just a Facebook theory. To me, this part of the affidavit does confirm it. So I'm going to jump to that just real quick for a little bit. So the post made by this Papa Roger guy, and he made lots and lots of disturbing posts. If you search him on Facebook, you'll be able to find all the screenshots of all these posts he made in the University of Idaho murders case discussion. His like profile picture is this cartoon. So people said it was like that AI stuff where you can kind of make yourself look like a cartoon um and it looks a lot like Brian I mean it's a side profile so again this was all speculation but to me the affidavit almost confirms it for me he makes this post Papa Roger on November 30th and he says of the evidence released the murder weapon has been consistent as a large fixed blade knife this leads me to believe they found the sheath this evidence was released prior to autopsies which like, how would you know that? That is crazy, right? That this person would make a comment about the sheath and that is found. He knew it was left there. Like if this guy didn't know that it was left there and isn't really Brian, I don't know. Then he has some good instincts. (laughs) But this Dustin guy comments on his post and he says, who knows, finding a left behind sheath seems like a stretch though. And then Papa Roger says, why? They are very specific about the weapon, but very vague about every other detail. So then these two kind of go on to argue about the sheath theory. And Papa Roger, a.k.a. probably Brian Koberger, says they are looking for a very specific knife. Curious, why are you debating the sheath theory so hard? And this Dustin guy's like, because who would carry a sheath? And Papa Roger probably Brian, says, who would carry a large exposed knife? And then Dustin's like, sheaths are meant for belts, blah, blah, blah. I'd guess he carried it in his hand. 
they just keep arguing and Papa Roger is asking all these weird questions which hand and then he goes on and he's like so a wielding a knife wielding person walked from where and then entered this house at what point with a large knife in his hand he just keeps asking questions this Dustin dude's getting annoyed he's like how the hell would I know like stop asking me all these very specific questions and then um Papa Roger says, how did the killer hold the knife prior to entering the scene, in your opinion? They keep going back and forth, and Papa Roger's, oh, and this actually was funny to me. Dustin says, how in the hell would I know that? I'm sorry that nobody is buying this sheath theory of yours, and if we find out one day and I'm wrong, I will gladly eat crow, which I'm like, oh my gosh, Dustin, you were wrong, but I think it was maybe Brian, so he knew. Like, I can't imagine how the guy having the conversation felt like he's like, if I find out I'm wrong, well, you were wrong. But I think it's because, I mean, how could this not be him? Who would know that? So then this Papa Roger guy says, why did he leave the sheath? I wonder if it fell off and he, you know, didn't know where it was and didn't want to go trace back through the house or whatever. Yeah, I you know, it seems like that unless he was trying to leave it as some clue, but he's an idiot because his DNA was on it. And then he posts about it on Facebook, which if police were monitoring social media at all, that'd be a huge red flag that someone's posting about something they never release publicly. So this Papa Roger guy is like, do you carry a knife? Blah, blah, blah. And Dustin says, dude, give it a rest. You sound like a psycho. Papa Roger goes on to argue with him. He's like, I made the original post and you have gone down this path. They keep arguing about it. And Dustin's just like, because I commented here, I should be accepting all of your weird and creepy ass questions. (laughs) And the Papa Roger guy says, asking if you carry a knife is weird and creepy? Question mark. And then this Dustin guy tells him like, yeah, pretty much the specific things you're telling, like asking me, he goes through all these weird questions and he's like, with no context, that's just strange. You were asking me questions that only the killer would know answers to. Are you suggesting that I'm the killer with a laughing face? Like the Dustin guy is wondering, why are you asking me these questions? I don't know. And then Papa Roger says, I'm only responding to you. Why would you even bring up the killer thought? That's odd. And then Dustin's getting annoyed. So he's like, sorry, I trashed your stupid sheet theory and you couldn't take it. And they keep arguing for a minute. Papa Roger says, why are you angry? And then the last screenshot I have is this Dustin guy saying, why do you communicate like a serial killer? And it's just like, so when I read those a couple of days ago, I was like, that is kind of weird. Well, they also think that he called into like several different podcasts. Wow. I wouldn't be surprised because a lot of times we know these people love to involve themselves. Mm -hmm. They like the notoriety. They like everybody talking about it. And that's a lot of the times what, what gets them like BTK who... Did I mention this on the podcast? I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast yet, yet, but I did in a TikTok. BTK, which is um, the serial serial killer, um, Dennis Rader. BTK stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. Have you learned much about him, Mom? A little bit. I know that Brian was studying him. Yeah, well, he is the 
Like he is a serial killer I have always been the most terrified of. Like when I heard about his case, I was scared for a few days because just the way he chose victims and everything, it was just, it freaked me out. Well, when me and Carly went to Crime Con in Las Vegas in October, Carly's my sister, guys. My mom was supposed to come. She bailed. So, took my sister to Crime Con. We went to Catherine Ramsland's um, presentation, which was on the um, autobiography she wrote with BTK. She is a psychologist, a forensic psychologist that was examining his psyche, and she wrote the book Confessions of a Serial Killer. So I went to her presentation. It was pretty great. I wanted to cover BTK with, you know, her book and a lot of that presentation we saw. Well, she, Brian Enton reported that she taught Brian Koberger at DeSales University while he was studying criminology, which I just thought all of that was crazy. Like I met her, I went to her presentation, BTK freaks me out and she, like Brian also took her class. It's just, that's crazy. (laughs) It is a small world. It really is. But yeah, anyway, um, so like that's how BTK got caught is by involving himself because he was too obsessed with people talking about him. Oh, yeah. Well, so so with the knife sheath, um, the DNA they got off of it, they were then able to match the garbage from the Kohlberger's residence in Pennsylvania. Uh Uh-huh. To Brian. It was like to his dad, but Mm. his dad was 99.9. Oh, my gosh. The biological father. Oh, of the killer. Mm -hmm. So crazy. So, yeah, all of that, like them finding the sheath, like that is just when I read that, I was like, that is so odd because it confirms this weird random Facebook theory that's going around. Um, So that was kind of a big side note. And now we can jump back into all of this. Um, it's like, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, I mean, all of it's very sad, but a lot of it that I was reading was so sad and I only got a little, little further than this. So we're jumping back in after they say that they found this suspect DNA on the snap of the knife sheath. Then Brett Smith says, as part of the investigation, numerous interviews were conducted by Moscow Police Department officers, Idaho State Police detectives, and FBI agents. Two of the interviews included BF and DM. Both BF and DM were inside the King Road residence at the time of the homicides and were roommates to the victims. So this is Bethany and Dylan. We talked about them in our first coverage. We didn't share their last names, but we shared their first names. So I might as well say Bethany and Dylan here. Um, So Bethany's bedroom was located on the east side of the first floor of the King Road residence. Based on numerous interviews conducted by MPD officers, detectives, FBI, all of that, I have learned the following. On the evening of November 12th, 2022, Chapin and Cronado are seen by Bethany at the Sigma Chi house on the University of Idaho campus. So she's the one who sees them there. They're there from 9 p.m. to about 1.45 a.m. on November 14th. 
Bethany also estimated that at approximately 145, they go home. And she also stated that Chapin did not live in the King Road residence, but was a guest of Kernodal. They were boyfriend and girlfriend. We know that. Gone Calls and Mogan were at a local bar. It's the Corner Club. We know all of this. They're seen on video footage. They come home about, they go to the Krebs truck at 1.30. They come home by 1.56. Um, so Dylan and Bethany both made statements during inter- interviews that indicated the occupants of the King Road residence were at home by 2 a.m. and asleep or at least in their rooms by approximately 4 a.m. And this is with the exception of Kernodle, who received a DoorDash order at the residence at approximately 4 a.m. Law enforcement identified the DoorDash delivery driver who reported this information. So I think everyone was kind of thinking they were killed between 3 and 4 a.m., but this shows us that they are still alive by 4 a.m., a couple hours after they get home. Yep. Dylan stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on the southeast side of the second floor. Dylan says she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. And by what she stated sounded she so she was woken up by what sounded to her like gong calls playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which were, were located on the third floor. And it's a short time later that Dylan says she heard who she thought was gone calls say something to the effect of there's someone here. And then the police review these records obtained from a forensic download of of Kernodle's phone. And they actually think this could have been Kernodle who said there's someone here because her cellular phone indicates she was likely awake and using the TikTok app at approximately 4.12 a.m. So she's awake. She like isn't that's scary to me that she was awake and not just like blindsided in her sleep. I mean it's all scary but do you know what I'm saying? Yeah she was awake because and it had to have been someone different than the DoorDash because they said that came at four right and then she's you know at 412 on her phone 12 someone's here right so Dylan states that she looks out of her bedroom but doesn't see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house Dylan then states that she opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Kernodle's room Dylan then said she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. And that is scary. I'm, I, yeah, hate that. I know. Is it the killer saying that or Ethan saying that to her? Oh, I don't know. I hope it was Ethan. Just like, you know, like, we'll get through this together. But it almost seems to me like it could be the killer. Because I think killers, a lot of the time, when they come upon a victim who is awake, they do try to, like, calm them down. They're not going to hurt them. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, um, it goes on to say, at approximately 4.17 a.m., a security camera located at 1112 King Road, which is a residence immediately to the northwest of 1122 King Road, picks up distorted audio of what sounded like voices or a whimper followed by a loud thud. A dog can also be heard barking numerous times starting at 4.17 a.m. 
The security camera is less than 50 feet from the west wall of Kernodle's bedroom. And that is also very sad to me that you can hear like whimpering and a loud thud and everyone kept saying like there was a dog why didn't it bark well guys it barked it was barking it it's caught barking. It was barking it didn't wake everybody up so dylan says that she opens her door for the third time after she heard the crying and she saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her so this is the part you're talking about i haven't gotten here yet yeah Dylan describes the figure as 5'10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows, which he does have bushy eyebrows. It, it, it Like it does sound like him. The male walks past Dylan and and it says as she stood in a frozen, shocked phase, the male walked towards the back sliding glass door. Dylan locked herself in her room after seeing the male. Dylan did not state that she recognized the male. This led investigators to believe that the murderer left the scene. Yeah. So there, I mean, there are questions surrounding that. Like, did he not see her? I know. He was walking towards her. Did they Walked make eye contact? DM as she stood in a frozen shock phase. But then he just walks to the back sliding glass door door so was she is she not on the first floor can she I know, see I to the like, second did, floor was it from her room so I I wonder and I did see this theory that the like empty bedroom was actually one on the first floor so was Dylan in the other bedroom on the second floor and that's why she hears all of this I don't know, but that is scary. I feel so bad for her. That is scary. And then that um, like survivor's guilt you would feel when it's Mm -hmm. like, it's not your fault at all. I don't know why she didn't call police right away. I mean, none of us can know. I, I don't think any of us could know how we would react in like a weird situation like this or what like our brains would tell ourselves I mean could she have passed out from being in shock I don't know like I don't know how the body maybe works. but probably not for nine hours oh that like, it's just nice scary to, like it'll be nice to hear her testimony like did she text somebody did she yeah well maybe that's why she ends up texting friends in the morning asking them to come over because she's terrified you know to go out of her yeah. room but then they did call it in as unconscious, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. They called uh, it in as an unconscious person, you know, to the scene and not as a murder. So yeah. she may not have known. It will be interesting to hear from her. That, like, provides so much insight into that night. But also, like, that is, I don't know, that's mind-blowing to me that she saw him. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> I know. And you know peep these freaking a-holes on social media uh, m- social media are totally going to come for her. Yeah. Like why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And I mean, we can question it. It but wouldn't have saved them. No. Nothing would have changed and like we don't know what she but thought. But still or I am curious. Like, yeah. Why and that's I what took I mean. So long. 
yeah, that's what I mean. Like we can question it and be curious. I just hope people don't actually like attack her online for saying it, you know, like make comments on her stuff or, Mm. you know, it's just sad. So moving on from here, um, like I said, haven't been through any of this. So I'm just going to kind of take it as it comes. The combination of Dylan's statements to law enforcement, reviews of forensic downloads from of records from Bethany and Dylan's phone, and a video of a suspect video, as described below, leads investigators to believe the homicides occurred between 4 a.m. and 4.25 a.m. During the processing of the crime scene, investigators found a latent, a latent, is that how you say that? L-A-T-E-N-T, yeah. latent. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I can't say words good, guys. <laughs> latent. Latent shoe print. Remember, I don't say my T's, so I need to. Latent. Yeah, so you which, say latent. Latent. Si- latent. Which, side note, I actually was listening back editing something. And when I am talking not in like the story tone, when I'm just having the casual conversation with you, I really don't say my T's. I heard it when I said center. I actually said center. So I realized like when I'm talking quickly, I do kind of skip over the T. So, I mean, that reviewer <laughs> was not wrong. I literally heard it and I, I was mean, like, oh my gosh. Whatever. That's just how I talk. People know Center. what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. But it kind of made me chuckle because I'm like, eh, she was right. If you still listen to us after being me roasting you on your <laughs> review, you were right. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so moving on, they find this latent shoe print, and this was located during the second processing of the crime scene by the Idaho State Police forensic team by first using a presumptuous, oh, I cannot talk sometimes, presumptuous, how do you say that? I cannot get the word out. Presumptive. Thank you. A presumptive blood test and then amino black, a protein stain that detects the presence of cellular material. The detected shoe print showed a diamond-shaped pattern similar to the pattern of a Vans-type shoe sole. And this was just outside the door of Dylan's bedroom, located on the second floor. Okay, so yes, what I just said earlier, her bedroom was on the second floor. Everyone this whole time thought it was on the first floor. This is in, this is consistent mm. with Dylan's statement regarding the suspect's path of travel. Oh so, my gosh. So they were yeah. on the same floor. They were. She is, I mean, they're both lucky, Bethany and Dylan, but to be on the same, like, why was she spared? I'm so happy for her, but I will never understand his, like, process or mind. I don't think you and can she had understand to have heard. crazy. Yeah, well, she clearly, like, she she heard the thuds upstairs. She heard someone say someone's here. Like, I wonder if Xana also heard the stuff upstairs where Dylan thought it was um, Kaylee playing with her dog. Maybe Xana's hearing that as well. And then she's, like, waking up Ethan like somebody's here. Like, someone's inside. Yeah. Oh, that's just terrifying. So... As part of the investigation, an extensive search, commonly referred to in law enforcement as a video canvas, was conducted in the area of the King Road residence. 
This video canvas was to obtain any footage from the early morning hours of November 13th, 2022 in the area of the King Road residence and surrounding neighborhoods in an effort to locate the suspects or suspect vehicles traveling to or leaving from the King Road residence. This video canvas resulted in the collection of numerous surveillance videos in the area from both residential and business addresses. I reviewed numerous videos that were collected and have had conversations with the other MPD officers, ISP detectives, and FBI agents that are similarly reviewing footage that was obtained. A review of camera so, footage indicates... Yeah. I just got to tell you, this thing's 18 pages. I don't think we're going to be able to read it It all. is. Okay, maybe I'll kind of yeah. scan through this car stuff. There's, there's some that you probably don't need to read. Like, it talks about how he's driving... Like his pathway of driving and his cell phone pings. Okay. Different yes. things. I'll kind but. of scan this. So like it says, yeah, where he's driving, like they see the suspect's vehicle. So they see him driving. It says approximately 326 a.m. going westbound. You know, you can read it all here on the affidavit. And then... um, It looks like they're able to have multiple sightings of this suspect vehicle starting from 3:29 a.m. and ending at 4:20 a.m. and then it makes three passes by the 11:22 King Road home and then let's see based off of on the fourth one it actually like stops okay turns around so he passes by a few times Passes by a fourth time. Oh, yeah. It says right here. Fourth time at 4.04 a.m. And just then. Says, just right after the door dash. Right after the door dash. That was delivered at 4 a.m. Oh. So then it says he turns around and stops in front of this other road. Drives back around by King Road. Blah, blah, blah. So it says that they attempt, so Brian in this vehicle, I think is what they're referring to, attempts to park unsuccessfully and turn around on the road. And then it continues to the intersection where it can be seen completing this three-point turn. And then it drives eastbound again. So does it just kind of go through and say... Oh, okay. It says that the vehicle is seen departing the area of King Road at 4.20 a.m. at a high rate of speed. So this is when he's fleeing the scene at 4.20. That was so Yeah, quick. so if he's parking like, at 4.04, driving past, Like he right? literally walked in. Yeah. Did he just it's walk fast. in? Quickly killed. Like, I... I guess in my head imagined he was there for like an hour or more. Yeah. It's 16 But he was minutes. in there for maybe 10 minutes yeah, from when he parks maybe. to when he's seen leaving. Yeah. Well, yeah. 404 to 420, 16 minutes. Which is sh kind of shocking to me. Much faster than I thought. And like that's so scary mm -hmm. that he was just in and out. So, you know. He drives, he ends up driving back to Pullman, Washington. And it sounds like, did they see um, video footage kind of all the way leading them to Pullman, Washington? Yeah. 
which is another small college town. You know, that's where Brian was going to Washington State University, getting his PhD in their criminology program. Yeah, it actually shows maps in the affidavit. It does. Okay. Of like the route and everything that they saw his car going and everything. So kind of all this next stuff is all about his car. Um, there they end up getting video footage from the Washington State University campus, um, and a review of that video indicates that at approximately two forty four a.m. on November thirteenth, a white sedan, which was consistent with the description of the white Elantra known as Suspect Vehicle One, was observed on WSU surveillance cameras traveling north and southeast Nevada Street at Northeast Stadium Way. And then it says at 2.53 a.m., it is observed traveling southeast on Nevada Street in Pullman, Washington, towards um, the road that connects Pullman to Moscow. This camera footage from Pullman was provided to the FBI forensic examiner. And then it says at 5.25 a.m., that white sedan was observed on five cameras in Pullman, Washington, and on uh, Washington State University camp, campus cameras. And the first camera that recorded the white sedan was located at 1300 Johnson Road in Pullman. So it, it shows him literally leaving before the scene. It shows him there at the scene, passing by the house a bunch of times, and then it shows him leaving the scene. Which, like, how stupid can you be? You're studying criminology. You've got a bachelor's <laughs> that's, degree. You're getting a PhD. That is so and you're funny. Literally, it's I was so funny. just telling Shannon that. I was like, this dude thought he was so freaking smart. I mean, you'd think he'd be smarter yeah. than this, being a criminology <laughs> master degree yeah, prepared person. Did you like not think your about your car, cameras, cell phones? Literally. Like, you'll see in this like, affidavit, too. They have his cell phones pinged, you know, but he turns his cell phone off so it's not pinging on any towers or anything during the time of the crime that he's driving around there and stuff. But it's like then he turns it on right after. So it's like, duh, duh, you're (laughs) dumb. Like, I'm glad you're dumb. I'm always glad you're dumb. Yeah, like your dumbass leaves in your car. You drive to the scene. You pass by the house four times. Four times. Do you not realize people have doorbell cameras? You pass by the house four times. That would be scary to me if nothing happened. If the same car passed my house four times. You freaking idiot. And then you drive back like you leave the sheath. Like I'm laughing because it's just so frustrating that people are so stupid and commit things like these heinous things for no reason. Oh. And then, like, you're such an idiot. But then he's idiot. so confident that he's going to get exonerated. Yeah, he, he's going to pull a Ted Bundy and try to freaking defend himself. And he's going to look like an idiot, which he is. Hmm. It, I, that is shocking to me that he passed by their house four times. Four times. Oh. And you're studying he also, criminology. He also drives past it. Yeah. Like. Days after. Oh, my gosh. In the so late, he's like revisiting the crime or, scene. Or early morning hours. Yeah. Oh, I hate him. And like <laughs> what a actual dumbass. I 
can't even wrap my mind around it. And like you left the knife sheath. Okay, sure. Could have fallen off, whatever. But like you leave that. Did you do it as a clue or are you just stupid? And then like you didn't turn off and your you cell go phone straight and leave it at your house. <laughs> <laughs> Who I, I cannot. I'm always glad. I'm glad. Of course. I'm that's, glad they're that's so what stupid. I'm like, I've, I've been hearing on the news like, oh, this was a very smart man. This man is very intelligent. He wore gloves yeah. oh, two really? weeks <laughs> after, you know, when he was going into stores and stuff, two weeks after the crime so that they couldn't pick up any of his DNA. He's like, not that oh, smart. Okay, well. Don't give him that much credit. Yeah, he's not that. <laughs> he wore it for two weeks. Well, they got his DNA when he went back to Pennsylvania, <laughs> okay? Like... <laughs> He they also pulled idiot. him over the other thing, twice. Twice. And then did you see how scared he looked? Oh, yeah. In the video, he's like, his wide eye. I mean, his eyes are always wide and creepy. But what one thing that was crazy, did you listen to the audio on one of the on one of the times he's pulled over? Um, Maybe. What are you referring to? So he's pulled over in Indiana and the officer goes up and he's like, so where are you guys going? And Brian's like, oh, we're going to get Thai food. And his dad's kind of confused. And he's like, well, we're we're coming from WSU, Washington State. And you can see Brian's like, shut the F up. You know, oh, like yeah. his face is kind of like, Fuh. and then he because he knows by this point they're looking for the car. Yeah. Like, but does his dad? Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm sure his dad just wasn't as up to date on it. Like, it's probably one of those things like where they're like, oh my gosh, that's so sad that happened close to where you live. But, you know, are they the kind of people who are following every detail? Probably not, apparently. I feel like so, everybody is. Then, the, <laughs> I, especially if my freaking kid went not to everybody. that. If my kid went to that school and was that close, I'd definitely be following it. I know, but then, like, we are who we are. A lot of my clients, like, I'll talk to them about it. They know nothing. They're just like, oh, yeah, I've wondered what's happened, but they we know need to not get a, a single thing. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let me t- let me tell you about it. I know everything. Um, but, like, he goes on. That officer is like, okay, like, I'm confused. Like, where, like, where are you going? And, again, Brian's like, oh, we're just going down the road to get Thai food. And then his dad's like, well, we're going to Pennsylvania. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm like, could you be more obvious, Brian, that you're trying not to say where you're going? Can't Ugh. imagine how scared he was when he was pulled over. I'm glad he felt that fear. Anyway, let's see. So it kind of is just all talking about the car. I'll kind of skip over all of this because we know that um, this car was his. They're able to connect his license to the driver's license oh they're able to find his like with his car they're able to connect his driver's license they see a white male height of six foot weighs 185 pounds and then the photograph of Koberger shows that he has bushy eyebrows so they're connecting his driver's license back to Dylan's description of him and then further investigation, including a review of Lataw County Sheriff's Deputy Duke body cam and reports show that Brian Koberger was detained. Oh, this is where it talks about those. So he's detained as a part of a traffic. Oh, no, 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 no. Wrong. I'm jumping ahead. 
This shows that on August 21st, he was detained as a part of a traffic stop that occurred in Moscow, Idaho. And I did read about this. So he was the sole occupant. He's driving his his Elantra, which had Pennsylvania plates at the time that were set to expire on November 30th. So during the stop, he it's recorded. They're able to go back and look at it. They can see his cellular telephone number. Um, whatever they are able from this stop it looks like to connect his cell phone number that he had at that time to his AT&T account whatever all kind of do it which I that was the other thing is he had these Pennsylvania plates so did he purposely commit this murder before his plates were set to expire because he thought he was going to be so smart changing his license plates to Washington license plates right after. I'm sure. Yeah. Because by December 5th, he changes the license plates from Pennsylvania to Washington. So I think he's thinking, ooh, they're not going to be able to see who I am (laughs) because it's not the same driver like license plate. Guess what? They can look up that license plate and then see that you change the registration of the license plates from Pennsylvania to Washington. Mm-hmm. Like they can track that you changed those via the original license plate number. Anyway, looks like they kind of go into the plates here. And then it says like on October 14th. So this is one month before the murders. It looks like he stopped by a Washington State University police officer in a traffic stop. Um, he was the only one driving. It's the Elantra. And then on November 18th, according to the Washington State Licensing. Oh, so it wasn't December 5th. I was wrong on that date. It's November 18th. He registered the 2015 white Elantra with Washington and then later receives the Washington plates. So at this time in the investigation, the investigators did believe that Brian was still driving that white Elantra because his vehicle is captured um, by a license plate reader on December 13th in Colorado. So is this on his way back home? This must be. So he's making that road trip back home. So his dad flew out from Pennsylvania for what they said was a pre-planned road trip. And then he's driving home for Christmas with his dad from Washington State to Pennsylvania. So it looks like he must have gone through Loma, Colorado. And then right after this on December 15th is when a law enforcement officer in Hancock County, Indiana, stops him for a traffic stop purposely. There's video surveillance. You can look that up online. I kind of talked about one of them, but he has stopped twice. And then this goes on to talk about Brian. So based on the information provided, he is currently a PhD student in criminology at Washington State University. Pursuant to records provided by a member of the interview panel for Pullman Police Department, we learned that Koberger's past education included undergraduate degrees in psychology and cloud-based forensics. These records also showed Koberger wrote an essay when he applied for an internship with the Pullman Police Department in the fall of 2022. 
Kohlberger wrote in his essay he had interest in assisting rural law enforcement agencies with how to better collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. Koberger also posted a Reddit survey, which can be found on by an open source internet search. The survey asked participants to provide information to understand how emotions and psychological traits influence decision making when committing a crime, which we read through that last time, didn't we? The Reddit yeah. survey mm-hmm. kind of when we talked about his arrest. Um, but that is interesting to me. So he literally had a degree in cloud-based forensics and then he wants to go into collecting and analyzing technological data but like like we were saying but you didn't consider that your car would be data like all these cameras would collect your car videos of your car they'd see your car you didn't turn off your phone and leave it somewhere like did you pay attention in class or no (laughs) very odd So the law enforcement obtained search warrants to determine cellular devices that utilize cellular towers in close proximity to the King Road residence on November 13th, 2022, between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. So after they determined that Brian was associated to the white Elantra and the... um, 8458 phone number. Investigators reviewed these search warrant returns and they find that 8458 phone in these returns. It did not. Oh, no, no, they don't find it. So a query of the 8458 phone number does not show that the phone is being utilized by cellular towers in close proximity to the King Road residence between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. Um, Officer Smith says that based on his training experience and conversations that with off- with law enforcement officers that specialize in the utilization of cell- cellular telephone records as part of investigations, individuals can either leave their cellular telephone at a different location before committing a crime or turn their cell phone off. So you said he turns his cell phone off, right? So this is done by subjects in an effort to avoid alerting law enforcement that a cellular device associated with them was in a particular area where a crime is committed. Okay, Brian, so you turn off your phone, but you literally drive your own car in there. I cannot get over it. Okay. (laughs) Cannot understand. So, on December 23rd, Officer Smith applies for and was granted a search warrant for historical phone records between November 12th, 2022 at 12 a.m. and November 14th at 12 a.m. for the 8458 phone number. Um, It says that he receives the records for that phone number and they indicate that the phone is subscribed to Brian Koberger at an address in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, and the account has been open since June 23rd, 2022. They also like give him more information on this cell phone. Let's see. This is kind of where they go into the pings, right? So you say his cell phone, you read it. So his cell phone pinged in like certain places and then he turned it off i mean yeah basically they don't know like that he could have either turned it off or airplane mode yeah so it says like or been in an area without cell coverage mm, so at two forty-seven a.m the phone stops reporting to the network so that says it's consistent with it with the phone being in an area without cellular coverage 
or the connection is disabled, such as putting the phone in airplane mode, like you said, or being turned off. So from yeah. 2 47 like, a.m. Yeah, if you skip down to the paragraph, then it says uh, between 4.50 and 5.26, it, it's consistent with the phone traveling south on Idaho State Highway 95. Okay, so he turns it off by 3 a.m. and has it on just before 5 a.m. Yep. And he's traveling back home. Traveling back home. Going back to Pullman, Washington. Yeah, so they're able to track him through cell phone and through his car all around. This is kind of, through the affidavit, this comes to the maps. There's like a map for um, his cell phone you could check out. Um, they get a lot, it looks like he also got a search warrant for Koberger's historical CSLI. I'm not sure what that is. Probably something to do, looks like maybe something to do with his car. So there's all these search warrants. Basically, as we can see, they're connecting Brian to this crime in many ways. Like they have his DNA. They've got his cell phone traveling there and back, not necessarily in the area. They've got his car passing by literally four times. Um, I'm just going to skip down here. And I think this is pretty much it comes to the end. And then this is the last paragraph it says on December 27th 2022 Pennsylvania agents recovered the trash from Koberger's family residence located in Albrightsville Pennsylvania that evidence was sent to the Idaho State Lab for testing on December 28th 2022 the Idaho State Lab reported that a DNA profile obtained from the trash and the DNA DNA profile obtained from the sheath identified a male as not being excluded as the biological father of suspect profile so you said the trash connected to his dad Mm -hmm. to the dna found on the sheath right yep and it said this is the suspect's dad at least 99.9998 percent of the male population would be expected to be excluded from the possibility of being the suspect's biological father Based on the information, I am requesting an arrest warrant be issued for Brian C. Koberger, date of birth, November 21st, 1994. So he did this right before his birthday. Disgusting. For burglary at 1122 King Street in Moscow, Idaho, and four counts of murder in the first degree for the murders of Madison Mogan, Kaylee Goncalves, Zana Kernodle, and Ethan Chapman. I declare under penalty of perjury pursuant to the law of the state of Idaho that the foregoing is true and correct. And that is why he was arrested. So clearly they have the right guy. Clearly he did it on his own. (laughs) That provided a lot of insight for me into what happened I mean, how is he going to get exonerated? He won't. But he why does is he think he literally will? stupid because he thinks he's smart. And oh the thing gosh. is, is up to this point, he didn't even know why he was being arrested. Right. Because the affidavit wasn't like made clear. So I think he wanted to waive his extradition, get back here quickly so that he could review this and see where he messed up, which when he reviews it, he's going to be like, ah, I'm an idiot. And but yes, he already Brian, had to have you known are. that he 
left the shaft there or not the yeah shaft, well, like the, the, sh- oh, the <laughs> shaft mom oh uh not the shaft the sheath um yeah because he if that was him which like to me it just connects so much like maybe I am wrong maybe this guy just randomly knew a sheath was left but that's pretty specific information to understand and know that the law enforcement found it yeah so I really do think it's going around on TikTok too I saw it this morning that some like somebody some source close to the investigation said they found DNA on the knife sheath yeah it's it is crazy so and that guy so like going along with that Papa Roger theory if that is him which again he knew information only the killer would know um we know that like crimes a lot of the time perpetrated by men are like sexually motivated but then they say that the suspects were not sexually assaulted which again with the timeline I totally believe that because he was in and out in 16 minutes. Um, But that Papa Roger guy did post on there like the the killer has a sexual dysfunction thoughts question mark. So that like leads me to believe it still could have been a sexually motivated crime. But if he has this dysfunction, then you know, he was getting aroused from the killing itself, which does happen for these, um, like, sexually sadistic people. Mm. But I just, yeah, it was, I can't believe the arrest affidavit is out. Did his dad know? He had to have seen his hands. Yeah, I don't think the dad knew, though. Like, I don't think you could ever, like, expect that your kid did it. And maybe, like, you're kind of questioning, but... But would you have suspicion? Probably. You know, but maybe not. I don't know. It It is... It will be curious to see... I know. I keep thinking because they put the statement out that they were going to stand yeah. by him. But it sounded like they, like, were saying we're going to stand by him and proving his innocence. So I'm curious to see their stance when they see all this evidence. And when, you know, they're able to really see, like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, if he is guilty, what is your stance? That's kind of where I feel like I can judge them from there on. Like, what's your stance if you know he's guilty once you've seen the evidence? Up until then, it's like, I think it's hard for us to understand because... You can't imagine your own kid doing that, but like, I think you would try to support them until you proved that they did do it. Like you would take that stance of innocent until proven guilty until they were proven guilty to you. Oh, his poor family. Yeah. And especially with this all coming out, because they have to, like, that's a pretty uh, clear, like, He's connected DNA, car, phone, like, I, you know, it's a lot. I'm curious to see what else mm. they find through the investigation. Yeah. This was a super long update, yeah. bonus, random episode, but I had to go through that and just see what it was all about. I wonder if they'll find, like, his shoes from the shoe print. Right, because they ended up going into his house after the arrest, all of that. Or any, like, his mask or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Or his car, if he, 
you know, got any blood in his yeah, car. Yeah, for sure. I guarantee, like, this is just what he was arrested on. Guarantee they find boatloads more of evidence now that they have their suspect and can really dive into it. That part about Dylan shocked me. So I'm That's very the curious. most shocking part of that, huh? That is a shocking revelation. I like, know. That blows my mind. They just must be keeping her hidden from the public. I yeah. I mean, there'd be so many They need questions. to protect her. Yeah. And like, I mean, she probably needs to deal with that on her own. And I am guarantee she will testify at trial and we can kind of see what she has to say then. Yeah. Yeah.